Let's spend some time in prayer together. Lord, it's so great to come before your throne of grace. It's so great to come and learn from you, to, to, to kneel at your throne and, and realize that you're in control, to realize that you are all powerful, but you're also full of mercy and grace. Lord, I think about all of the people that have been displaced by Hurricane Florence and all the people that have lost their homes or are dealing with destruction or even dealing with death, Lord. It's, it's so difficult to see all those people go through it as we've seen the effects of several hurricanes over the last few years. Lord, I pray that you give them mercy as they go through this tough time. And Lord, you tell us to pray this way. You pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those who've trespassed against us and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen. I'm so um, grateful that we get to worship God together even in the chaos uh, of this world. And we wanted to pray for those that uh, have been affected by the hurricane. And if you want to help in a tangible way, one of our ministry partners, Samaritan's Purse, is on the ground there. So you can go to their website, samaritanspurse.org, and uh, you can get involved and you can donate some money there to help with the relief efforts that are going on uh, in North and South Carolina and beyond. Uh, is there anyone here that had to evacuate from the hurricane? Anybody here here worshiping with us? Okay, we had a gift for you, but I don't see anyone that's, that's here. Uh, as I was running this week uh, near the Holiday Inn here, all the license plates in South Carolina. So uh, we just continue to pray for those that have been affected. Uh, we are now in Mark chapter 11. Uh, you, we need to celebrate that you guys have made it through 10 chapters of Mark. Way to go. Uh, it's awesome to be able to see what God's doing through his uh, gospel. And uh, we've seen Jesus do amazing things. We've seen Jesus be tempted and, and be baptized. We've seen him healing many. We've seen him call the 12 disciples of people that you wouldn't think he would call to be his closest group of people. We see Jesus calming the storm. We've seen Jesus do miraculous things like feeding thousands of people, not only once, but, but twice. We've seen him valuing women and children unlike anybody else during that time. We've seen him value community. And now we see him during Holy Week here, during the last week of his uh, earthly life, uh, coming to worship and coming to be uh, be coronated as a king, to come as the triumphal entry. And the point for this morning is that we can enjoy his gracious rule now. And I've always disliked the phrase, you can't have your cake and eat it too, because that seems so silly. If you have a cake, you want to eat it, right? Anybody here like cake? Anybody here like cake? Okay, Jen, I saw your hand first. This is what happens when you act quickly at Good News Church. I saw your hand pop up first here, Jen. So here is a wonderful cake for you here, Jen. You can have your cake and eat it too. You see, when it comes to Jesus' rule, we can have our cake and eat it too. Because not only is he ruling now, he's going to come again and he's going to restore all things and he's going to rule for all eternity. But we don't have to wait for that. Even on this sinful earth, we can enjoy his gracious rule now. He's the king now, and he's going to come again. I like the phrase gracious rule, because normally you don't see those two things together, do you? 
Normally you either see graciousness or you see someone ruling, but you never, you hardly ever see them both together. There are a couple examples of that in my life uh, where I've seen the two things separately. One was when I had a paper route when I was 10 years old in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It was so fun having a paper route, especially being an athlete, because I wrap up those uh, papers as tight as I could, and I was chuck them as far as I could. Uh, one of my favorite places to deliver to was to this old lady named Millie. Isn't that an amazing old lady named Millie? And I remember, lo- I remember loving delivering to her house because even though you could tell that she was really poor by the way that she lived, she always gave me $2 each week as a tip. And the 10-year-old kid, that was a big deal. That was a pack of baseball cards that I could go get. She was so gracious. Every Christmas, she would give me a $20 tip for delivering the paper. She was so gracious, but she didn't rule anything. I mean, she was just a little old lady. She was gracious, but she didn't rule. The other time I seen the opposite end of that was when I played collegiate baseball in a small town called Edenton, North Carolina. And I was there playing for the Edenton Steamers. That's right, we were the fighting clams. And uh, we, we, we played summer baseball, and it was serious. I mean, summer baseball was supposed to be serious, but it was also summertime. We wanted to have fun, and so the guys on our team, we would have fun. We'd travel on these terrible buses to all these terrible places all over the state, and uh, we were at one place. I don't even remember where it was, but we were really hungry, and I was a relief pitcher, and so I, know I was, knew I wasn't going to get in for a while, and and one of the guys on the team had cookies. And I'm not a huge cookie fan, but I was really hungry, so I wanted the cookie. And so the coach, as the guy brought out the cookies, said, you better put those cookies away. Now this coach, he ruled with an iron fist. He was the one that was in control. Uh, when he told us to put away the cookies, we didn't do that. We were so hungry, we were going to have the cookies. And so I reached in and grabbed a cookie just as I was doing that. The coach saw me. He stormed out from his side of the bench all the way down to my side of the bench. And he got right in my face and he said, you snake. You're never going to play another inning this whole summer. See, he ruled, but he was not gracious. See, with Jesus, we get to have our cake and eat it too. That we get to enjoy his gracious rule, not only to when he comes again, but right now. This triumphal entry, as it's called in, in Mark chapter 11, is better, should be better referred to as the coronation of a king. Because here he comes, his last week here on earth, to come back to Israel to show that he is the true king of Israel, that he is the true king of our life. And this is only the second event that's recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. That's how important this is. And so this is Mark chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can look up on the screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell him the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied it at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered and Jesus told them to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those uh, who went ahead 
And those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. See, this kingdom is such a huge theme in the New Testament, and especially in the Gospels. 126 times the word kingdom is used in the, in the, in the Gospels. You see, Jesus sits on his throne as the king of the universe, and his kingdom rule, his reign, he governs over all things. And that's the basic meaning of the word kingdom. It's his reign and his rule. And since God's purpose for the world is to come as a seeking and saving Savior, to come redeem us and to come redeem the world. It's important that we know about his gracious rule. You see, first, he has his gracious rule in all of us as believers. See, that's where he reigns first, is in the hearts of believers, that even though we were sinners far away from God, he came as a seeking and saving Savior to redeem us by dying for our sins raising from the dead so that in us we could experience his gracious rule personally. The next place that he comes and shows his reign is in his church. Sunday is my favorite day of the week because all of God's people gather together. We gather together in our local expressions of the church. We gather together here at Good News with our good and our bad, with our tough weeks, with our great weeks, with our joys and our sorrows. We come together as the people of God to worship him. Now, 2,000 years later, after his coronation, we say the same words, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and we're worshiping him and his uh, gracious rule over our lives. And it's not only here at Good News Church, but it's also all the other churches in our community that we're working together to see God's glory uh, be shown to our community and our country and our world. I don't believe that the church of God is dying. I don't believe that Jesus is dead. I believe that his church, I believe that he is fully alive and that we are here as an expression of his Holy Spirit working in and through us. And then one day he's gonna show his reign fully with the new heavens and the new earth. And in a few weeks, we're gonna spend some time going through what that looks like in detail. I'm excited to be able to share that with you in a few weeks. But here in short, the new heavens and the new earth is gonna be like all the great things of earth without any of the bad things. And that's so hard for us to even imagine. Like, can you imagine there being no sin, no suffering, no pain, no crying, no tears, no suffering, no illness, no anything bad, nothing bad. We can't even imagine that because there's so much sin in us and around us, but the new heavens and the new earth are gonna be like that. See, there's the, there's the now of the kingdom of God, the now of the reign of God, and the not yet. And I kind of like to think of it as an appetizer at a restaurant. See, don't you love appetizers? I mean, I just love food and the idea that you order food before your food comes. That's an awesome idea. I love that idea. And that's what the kingdom of God is like for us here is that it's an appetizer, that we get to see him move. We get to see hundreds of people come to faith in Christ with all these life rings that we see. We get to see his Holy Spirit move in and through us and in our families. But it's just an appetizer. The full meal's coming. When we gather together for, for the uh, Lord's Supper, that, that supper is, 
is a taste of his kingdom. It's, it's, it's a snack before the big feast to come. Because one day we'll, we'll not just be taking the Lord's Supper like we do together as a church here on earth, but we, we will be partaking in a feast that is to come. See, it's the now and not yet, but we get to enjoy his gracious rule now. We get to enjoy that appetizer now, knowing that the full meal is yet to come. And that kingdom emphasis that we see here about the kingdom coming uh, with Jesus coming with his coronation, uh, coming through the streets of Jerusalem. To have a kingdom, you have to have subjects. And we are his subject of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But it's so great to be subject to a king who's gracious. He's not just powerful and mighty. He's also close. He's not a faraway God. He's gracious. He's merciful. And when you stop and think about that for a second, that's the most wonderful thing to be under, the most wonderful rule to be under, that he's not a king that's ruling with an iron fist. He's coming as the prince of peace because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he wants us to know about his rule and to be able to flourish under his reign. Some of you may have remembered in 2001, the king of Spain came to St. Augustine. Anybody remember that? This is actually him uh, at the governor's house downtown. I remember being there as a Flagler student. It was a huge deal that the king of Spain was coming. All the national media came. Remember the USA Today was there. It was a huge deal that the king of Spain came. And I remember going and seeing the king of Spain and being wildly disappointed. He doesn't even have a crown. He's wearing a suit. <laughs> See, we're so excited about the king of Spain coming to St. Augustine, but yet we don't get excited thinking about the rule that we're under, under King Jesus. See, we should have the media come to our church services. We should be excited about this each and every day of our life, but we get caught up in the busyness of it that we don't get to focus on his gracious rule. But this morning we do. And it should bring a smile to all of our faces because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're under his gracious rule. You're under his might. So let's break this down a little bit here as we go verse by verse through the scripture. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. You see, he had made that tough climb with his followers from Jericho that we looked at last week to Jerusalem. It was about 3,000 foot climb uh, for about 16 miles. And just before he gets to Jerusalem, he decides to stop and to rest. And we see in John's version, he makes a call to a friend to rest in, at Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. He calls his old friend Lazarus. And can you imagine what this is like? Can you imagine him reaching out to Lazarus and, and asking him to stay at his house? You have to remember, Lazarus got raised from the dead by Jesus. So do you think that he had to ask Lazarus twice? I mean, Lazarus kind of owed him one, right? And so he asked to stay at his house. Of course, you can imagine Lazarus was totally fine with that. And he stays there with his, uh, with his two sisters, uh, with Lazarus' two sisters. And Jesus had come to Jerusalem many, many times. He'd been there for at least the last 20 years of his life for Passover, and then many other times he would come, at least another three times a year for all the Jewish feasts that he would be required to come to Jerusalem for. So he was very uh, familiar with coming to Jerusalem, but this time it was for the coronation of the king. This time it was for him to assert his, the messianic claims about him. He was coming 
to Jerusalem on the final week of his life on earth with a purpose. And that purpose was to show that he's a gracious ruler and that we can enjoy his gracious rule now. The verse continues on. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell them the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street and tied it tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought, uh, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. I mean, why would he choose to bring a colt? Well, this was very, very symbolic of Jesus doing this, to show how gracious his rule is. Because this was very different from the Roman triumphus that would have been, they would have been very familiar with, having all of these leaders of war come back to Rome and that what they would come with is a bunch of pomp and circumstance. They would come being celebrated on white horses, war horses, and they would wear all of their special military garb, and they would be wearing uh, robes to show that they were almost like royalty coming in to the city. But Jesus shows it much differently. He doesn't come with war horses. He comes on a colt, a symbol of peace. And he comes showing that he is a gracious king, that he's a gracious ruler. He comes to show that, that he's full of love and grace and mercy. And he comes to show that, he, that he's the one that's in charge. And in Zechariah 9.9, he comes to show that he's in charge, but he also comes to show that he's fulfilling prophecies as the Prince of Peace. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so here we see the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, not coming with all of the pomp and circumstance, but coming as a humble and gracious king. Isn't that so awesome? that the one who is the most powerful in all the universe, he is all-powerful, but he's also gracious and humble and close by. I mean, can you imagine uh, what that scene would have been like? An all-powerful king coming in to the city, and people would have traveled from everywhere to see this. Verse 8, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. That word transliterated means, oh, save us now. That's what they were shouting. Oh, save us now. Hosanna. And they were quoting Psalm 118. He who comes in the name of the Lord. One of the six ascent psalms that they would have known, that they would have prayed to God. They're shouting out scripture. They're shouting out Hosanna just like we did in our worship song because they realized how awesome it is to have a gracious ruler who is so powerful yet so gracious that he comes in riding on a foal. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. I mean, can you just imagine what this parade was like? I mean, I've been to Disney World a few times. And what happens when the parades happen? 
all chaos breaks out, right? They break out the ropes because they don't want anybody getting close to all the floats that are going by. And all the parents get all their kids as close as they can to the ropes. And they want everyone to see all the Disney characters that are going by. And the rows go five, six, 20, 25 deep. And kids are getting up on their parents' shoulders just to see Mickey Mouse. They're so excited about the parade at Disney. Well, this parade would have been far greater. This parade would have been amazing to see because here is the humble Savior of the world coming in to show that he is the true priest, the true high priest of the temple, to show that the covenant is going to be fulfilled, to show that he is the king of all kings, to show that he's going to defeat death, to show that he is going to enjoy, that we're going to enjoy his gracious rule, that we can experience his freedom, his mercy, his might. And you get a chance to experience that freedom too. And I want to come down because I want to look you guys better in the eye because this is so important. This is so vital that you understand this. That same freedom that he offers, that same Hosanna, that same shouting, oh God, save us, we should want to be saved too. Because each and every one of us has made mistakes, right? We've all made mistakes, right? We've all made mistakes. Anybody perfect in here? You see, we've we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And because we've sinned, and because we've fallen short, we deserve death. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know that some of you are thinking, my mistakes don't deserve death. So can you just help me out with this? How, How many times a day do you think you sin? I mean, have a, have a bad thought, have a bad action, uh, do something that's against God. How many times a day? Just throw out some numbers for me. Help me out here. How many, how, how many times? What? 50. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. All right. So I heard lots of different numbers there, but I heard that the loudest. 50. Okay. So let's just do some simple math. By the way, this is a calculator. Uh, I know some of you don't know these exist outside of a phone, but they do. Okay. So 50 times a day that you do something wrong against God, 365 days a year. I won't count the 366 like it is sometimes. That's 18,250 sins. Now, the average age, including the kids here at Good News, uh, World Golf Village, is about 30 years old. So let's just do that. Times 30 equals 547,500. 547,000. 500 things that we've done wrong against God. If I broke into your house 500,000 times, would you want me to be punished? If I punched you in the face 500,000 times, would you want me to be punished? Yes, you would want me to be punished. And we deserve punishment too. Our sin is really serious. Cheer up. You are way worse than you think you are, okay? And we should cheer up because the only way we're going to know the grace and how amazing his gracious rule is is by realizing how heinous our sin is. See, his graciousness covers all of that sin. He came as a seeking and saving Savior. See, in Romans 5.8, it says we don't have to get our acts together. We don't have to try to figure out how we're going to get over those 500,000 sins first. It says God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Don't you see how much we need his gracious rule? 
We need it. We have to have it. We can't get over that 500,000 sins on our own. And many of you shouted out numbers that were higher than 50. You see, we need his grace. We need his mercy. I want you to be able to experience joy and peace and eternal life. And the only way you can experience that is by putting your faith and trust in Christ, by admitting that you fall short, admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you messed up. Join the party. We all have. And then believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, defeating our sin so that we could be victorious, and then committing our lives to him, committing our lives to his gracious rule. If you need help doing that, come and see one of the prayer team members after the service or see me after the service, or you can do it right in your seat. It's not about the words that you say, but it's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. I can just imagine this scene. Jesus walking in the temple thinking about what, what could have been. The, the, the rebellion of the nation of Israel constantly going against what he said, going against his word. We can relate to that rebellion, can't we? I mean, this was supposed to be the place of worship filled with people. And now that the day was growing short, he looked around and there's nobody in there. Nobody in that temple, except for maybe a few conversations happening here and there. And this was supposed to be the, the main place of worship. And shortly after, about 40 years after this took place, Titus comes to Jerusalem and wrecks the city and tears down this temple. But he doesn't tear down the temple of Jesus. Jesus is the forever king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And no matter if our world completely mocks Jesus, his rule remains. And his rule is in our life. And so our action step for this week is to enjoy his gracious rule now. We don't have to wait for him to come back. We can enjoy the appetizer now. We can enjoy uh, what he's done now. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, I don't know about you, but I always focus on the last part first. I think about all these things first. That's what my life gets caught up in and I, it's what I worry about and get anxious about, all these things. But he says, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my gracious rule. And it's amazing when we do that that things just seem to fall into place. I mean, we have a hard time doing it, but when we actually do, we have to admit that when we are trusting in his rule, it doesn't always happen the way that we think it's going to happen, but we realize that he is actually in control. And so I want to focus at the end here on, on one more verse in Isaiah because it's a, it's a prophecy about his gracious rule. It's a prophecy about who he is as a gracious king. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who we get as a gracious ruler. We get a wonderful counselor. I love the word in the original Hebrew, that word wonderful. It means something that's mind-blowing, something that's beyond belief. That's what type of counselor we get. 
That when we spend time with him, and that's why we have those studies for you in the seat. If you didn't pick one up last week, pick one of them up because it's a way for you to spend time with the gracious ruler, with the mighty counselor, so that when you're struggling with decisions to make, when you're struggling on how to parent, when you're struggling on what to do with your annoying neighbor, when you're struggling with what to do at work or at school, you have a counselor, a wonderful, mind-blowing counselor who will lead you and guide you. We have a mighty God, as it says here, a mighty God who, who wants to care for us, who is all-powerful and all-gracious. The unlimited power that Jesus has, he empowers the, us with that so that we can tap into that as we go through our day, as we go through our week, as we go through our life, that he is a mighty God. It says that he's an everlasting father. And this is not a statement about the Trinity. It's a statement about what it means to be a loving and awesome father. You see, I have great fathers in my life. I have a really great, awesome dad. I have an awesome father-in-law, awesome stepdad. They're awesome men, but they're all going to die. They're not everlasting. And I'm the father of Liliana, Luke, and Levi, but I'm going to die. All the earthly fathers, no matter how great they are, they're going to pass away. But Jesus has the characteristics of a loving, eternal father, that he's going to care for us, that he's going to have his hand over us, that he's going to give us forgiveness, that he's going to give us peace, that he's going to give us power as an everlasting father. And then it says he's the prince of peace that we can enjoy his gracious rule as the Prince of Peace. Does anybody here need peace? Anybody? I mean, I feel like my, my office is sometimes a place where people are coming from chaos to try to find peace. I feel like the people that I meet with all the time are living in chaos, and they come to meet so I can point them to the Prince of Peace. I don't, I don't have anything to offer them. But I can point them to Jesus who brings peace. And he says, you can have peace in your life. I'm a gracious ruler who's not coming in your life, not coming to Jerusalem on a war horse, but I'm coming on a colt as a symbol of peace that I come to bring peace to this world. Apart from him, there's no real peace. And so we need to enjoy his gracious rule now. And as we enjoy his gracious rule, we should make him known. You see, our life should be a movie trailer of his gracious rule. That when people look at our lives, they don't see a bunch of people trying to be perfect. They don't see a bunch of people saying that I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Christian, I'm going to strive to be a goody two-shoe. No, we should have grace and mercy with people. That we should be the first to forgive that we should be the first to, to point people to Jesus as a, as a movie trailer to other people, that they'd be, so, they'd be so drawn into our lives as we go through things, and whether they're joy or sorrow, that they want to see the whole movie. You see, Jesus comes to give us gracious rule. And we can enjoy that rule in the life to come when he comes again, to judge the living and the dead, to give us a new heavens and a new earth, and we can enjoy his gracious rule now. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful that you are a mighty and powerful king, but you are also a gracious king. Lord, I desperately need your grace. I desperately need your mercy. I desperately need your rule. Without you, 
I make my life a wreck. Without you, sin comes very easily. Without you, I deserve death. But with you, I get your righteousness. I get your joy. I get your peace. I get the promise of eternal life. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.